And we're back this week. Welcome to this week's episode of Until Green Card Do Us Part, a weekly show where we address the issues that immigration-based marriages made a few feet short of heaven create for American citizens and their families. Put another way, foreign nationals seeking the American dream while creating an American nightmare for American citizens. I'm your host, John Sampson, CEO of CSI Consulting. This show is brought to you by CSI Consulting, a technical legal consulting firm that assists American citizens and their attorneys dealing with immigration, marriage fraud, and other visa fraud issues since 2009. Last week, we started down the path of the Violence Against Women Act, and this week, we're going to pick it up where we left off and discuss a September 2019 Government Accountability Office report entitled Immigration Benefits, Additional Actions Needed to Address Fraud Risks in Program for Foreign National Victims of Domestic Abuse. The GAO report outlines what the problem is and what their suggestion for solutions are. Unfortunately, what we're going to learn is that USCIS is resistant to some of the suggestions that the GAO has made. So let's get started. What's the domestic violence or domestic abuse provisions of the immigration law allows for is for a foreign national to self-petition without the need of their U.S. citizen spouse or permanent resident spouse jointly filing. And self-petition fraud is defined as immigration benefit fraud involving the willful or knowing misrepresentation of material facts for the purpose of obtaining an immigration benefit without lawful entitlement. Now, according to USCIS officials, and I'm quoting directly from this GAO report, mind you, self-petition fraud is a form of immigration benefit fraud which can occur in a number of ways, such as through document fraud, including submission of falsified affidavits, or making false statements material to the adjudication. For example, a self-petitioner may submit a fraudulent marriage certificate with his or her self-petition in an effort to establish a qualifying relationship with a U.S. citizen or permanent resident alien. Or a self-petitioner may submit a fraudulent affidavit falsely attesting that he or she was battered or subjected to extreme cruelty during the qualifying relationship with the U.S. citizen or lawful permanent resident. For the purposes of this report, self-petition fraud is construed broadly to include any misrepresentation of material fact or facts, such as making false statements, submitting forged or falsified documents, or conspiring to do so in support of a VAWA self-petition. Now, USCIS may deny or revoke approval of a self-petition upon determining that the self-petitioner is or was not eligible for the petition approved by a preponderance of evidence due to fraud material to the adjudication process. While it's unlawful to fraudulently obtain approval of an immigration benefit, and you're going to love this one, 
U.S. immigration law does allow VAWA self-petitioners who may have committed such fraud to retain eligibility for LPR or green card status when they or their family members would otherwise suffer an extreme hardship. Now, such misrepresentations may involve specific intent to deceive. Immigration benefit fraud is often facilitated by document fraud and identity fraud. Immigration-related document fraud includes forging, counterfeiting, altering, or falsely making any document or using, accepting, or receiving such falsified documents in order to satisfy any requirement of or to obtain a benefit under the Immigration and Nationality Act. Identity fraud refers to the fraudulent use of another's valid documents. Now, while USCIS has taken some steps to assess fraud risks in the self-petition program, the agency has not conducted a formal assessment of such program risks. Let me repeat that just so that you get the, the thrust of this. While USCIS has taken some steps to assess fraud risks in the self-petition program, the agency has not conducted a formal assessment of such program risks. The second component of the fraud risk framework, assess, calls for federal managers to plan regular fraud risk assessments and to assess risks to determine a fraud risk profile. A fraud risk profile is a summation of key findings and conclusions from a fraud risk assessment, including the analysis of the types of internal and external fraud risks, their perceived likelihood and impact, and managers' risk tolerance and the prior prioritization of risks. The fraud risk assessment should be tailored to the program and in identifying and assessing risks to determine the fraud risk profile, and the focus should be on likelihood and impact of inherent fraud risks. This means not only fraud risks already known through program experience, but also other fraud risks that may not yet have been experienced but can be identified based on the nature of the program. Such risks can be either internal or external to the program. And what, that's mean, what that means by internal or external, sad to say, is that there are some USCIS employees, very few, mind you, the, the vast majority of them are honest, hardworking individuals, but unfortunately there are a few who are corrupted and corrupt the system. And then external means just what it means, you know, outside factors that are brought in to uh, conduct the fraud or to perpetrate the fraud. Now, here's where it gets interesting. USCIS, according to the Government Accountability Office, has not, repeat, not assessed fraud risks and determined a fraud risk profile for the self-petition program, as USCIS officials told us, that they were unfamiliar with the concept of a comprehensive fraud risk management, pro management process as provided in the fraud risk framework. Let that one sink in for just a moment. Basically what they're saying is they don't know what the hell it is they're doing or they don't care. It's either A or B. It's either ignorance or it's complicity. 
Instead, according to the GAO, USCIS officials said that they viewed fraud risk management more practically, the standpoint of adjudicating self-petitions and referring suspected fraudulent activity to the Center Fraud Detection Office as part of those efforts. And the CFDO staff review fraud referrals to determine potential fraud schemes and trends that may exist in the self-petition program. In other words, in plain English, without any of the frills, what we're doing is we're making an academic or having an academic exercise and we're doing nothing in the, in the way of practicality to stem the level of fraud. Now, the GAO goes on to say, while these are positive steps, they do not constitute an assessment of program fraud risks that would position USCIS to develop a fraud risk profile for the self-petition program. More specifically, the fraud risk framework calls for agencies to identify inherent fraud risks of a program, examine the suitability of existing fraud controls, and then to prioritize residual fraud risks, that is, risks remaining after anti-fraud controls are adopted. Put plainly, USCIS does not, has not, and probably will never adopt a aggressive, proactive anti-fraud program, despite the fact that they have an, a directorate in USCIS called Fraud Detection and National Security, or FDNS. What they're doing is it's on a case-by-case basis. There's no cohesive plan to try and have a all-encompassing fraud risk profile that will allow adjudicators and immigration service officers assigned to FDNS to have a objective look at what is potential fraud and what the, the potential fraud issues are. They're doing it on a simple case-by-case basis. And we're going to get into why this is destined to fail in just a moment. Getting back to the GAO report, according to USCIS officials we spoke with, the self-petition program is vulnerable to fraud. This bears repeating. The self-petition program, the whole VAWA program, is vulnerable to fraud. They've just admitted it, yet they're doing nothing proactive to stop it. For example, USCIS officials stated that they have seen cases in which self-petitioners submitted false or forged leases in an attempt to show they resided with the alleged abuser during a period of abuse, as well as foreign marriage or divorce certificates later found to be falsified in an attempt to establish that the self-petitioner entered into a marriage with a U.S. citizen in good faith. Now, while these are examples of individual fraudulent activities, USCIS officials, once again, cannot be assured they have identified inherent fraud risks to the program without undertaking a fraud risk assessment as provided in the fraud risk framework. Are you getting the picture? They don't want to. They are disinterested in doing so. We'll get into the motivations and the reasons why, but you can pretty much guess that 
immigration has always been a political football with special interest groups clamoring for attention and for their agendas to be fulfilled. USCIS officials we spoke with, said the GAO, acknowledged the benefits of conducting a fraud risk assessment and noted that a formal analysis of self-petition fraud referrals and administrative investigations could help to better understand the extent of fraud risks that exist in the self-petition program without undertaking a fraud risk assessment as provided in the fraud risk framework. Again, are you getting the picture here? We know we have to do this in order to ensure the integrity of the program, but we really don't want to. That's what they're saying. And this is insane. USCIS officials we spoke with acknowledged the benefits of conducting a fraud risk assessment and noted that a formal analysis of self-petition fraud referrals and administrative investigations could help to better understand the extent of fraud risks that exist in the self-petition program. I don't know about you, but what I'm hearing here is that USCIS has dug its heels in and said, yeah, I know we've got fraud. I know we need to deal with it, but we really don't want to be too aggressive or too successful, and now we're going to get into the meat and potatoes. The USCIS mission until 2018-2017 was a customer-based oriented mission. Serve their customer base, which are non-citizens of the United States. They don't want to upset the apple cart. And it comes down to a very simple question that needs to be asked and answered before anybody has a debate about immigration. It is the seminal issue on which the entire immigration debate is centered. Is coming to this country as an immigrant and remaining in this country as an immigrant a right or a privilege? Immigrant rights organizations such as ASISTA, Tahiri Justice Center, the ACLU, AILA, and others, and AILA stands for the American Immigration Lawyers Association, they all believe it's a right. The problem is that 68-plus years of American immigration jurisprudence, starting with the law itself, the black-letter law, and case law that supports it, and Supreme Court decisions and circuit court decisions and district court decisions, as well as Board of Immigration Appeals decisions, have consistently said it is a privilege. And therein lies the problem. When you believe it's a right, then any sort of enforcement goes out the window because there should be no enforcement if a person wants to exercise a right. Now, we're back to this where the immigrant rights groups, to begin with, deny that there's fraud in the program at all. Or, if they do admit they downplay the incidents of fraud, claiming it's negligible. Last week, we discussed uh, Francis McInnes's article dealing with are a few small numbers of immigrant women scamming the system in order to get green cards by making false allegations of domestic violence. 
And the words that consistently went through that article were negligible, minute, few. And the problem is the government does not keep statistics on the rate of fraud. So if the government doesn't take or make or keep statistics on the, on the rate of fraud in these programs, then how can Francis McInnes, uh, Assista, Tahiri Justice Center, AILA, the ACLU, and others say, well, the level of fraud or the incidence of fraud is virtually non-existent. If the government doesn't know, how do they know? They don't. It's in their best interest and self-interest to minimize the amount of fraud that's going on. Well, if the amount of fraud was minimal or non-existent, then there would have been no need for the Government Accountability Office to conduct an investigation. And therein lies the problem. Now, in 2019, in response to the GAO report, USCIS instituted a new online fraud tip form. And predictably, immigrant rights activists such as Assista, Tahiri, ACLU, et al. cried foul and mounted a campaign to oppose this simple fraud reporting tool. To give you an idea of what we're talking about, on March 29th, 2019, Assista, the Arab American Institute, and the Arrogant Legal Resource Center, or ILRC, issued a document stating that on February 15th, 2019, the Department of Homeland Security's U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, otherwise known as USCIS, published a proposed form for notice and comment to collect information from the general public regarding purported immigration fraud. The publication of this form signals another, quote, dangerous and insidious shift in USCIS transformation from an agency, these are their words, not mine, serving immigrants and adjudicating their applications into an enforcement agency working in tandem with Trump's deportation force, inviting the public to submit unsubstantiated reports of fraud about individual immigrants is a demonstration of deep cynicism about our immigration system and fulfills the Trump's administration's racist agenda of casting immigrants as suspect and criminal. This is the... These are their words. They're not mine. I'm merely quoting them. They claim that this fraud tip form will encourage abuse and profiling, that it violates due process and inhibits transparency, violates confidentiality, and endangers survivors. Well, let's talk about the violating confidentiality part of this for just a moment. The statute that governs the administration of the Violence Against Women Act provisions of the immigration law has written into it specific prohibitions prohibiting USCIS, ICE, 
Customs and Border Protection, and the immigration court system from considering any adverse information the alleged abusive U.S. citizen or permanent resident spouse or their family introduces. They're not even supposed to confirm whether or not an I-360 self-petition or an I-751 self-petition have even been filed, much less given the U.S. citizen or the permanent resident alien the opportunity to comment on, refute, or defend on the allegations that are being made. So this form is, once again, disinformation, to use the current buzzword that's going around the media. So what does ASISTA, the ILRC, and the Arab American Institute suggest? Keep in mind, this was back in 2019, and this was while they were in the process of formulating the rules and regulations and creating the form. What they said people could do is submit a comment to the Federal Register by April 16th of 2019. Raise the issue with members of Congress and impress upon them how this form will negatively impact your communities. Now, the form that they have is a form that is really interesting when you get into it. It really is. And I'm pulling it up right now. And it says, on February 15th, 2019, the Department of Homeland Security's U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services published a proposed form for notice and comment to collect information from the general public regarding purported immigration file. At ASISTA, we are particularly concerned about this broad tip form as it represents another tool for abusers and perpetrators of crime to weaponize the immigration system against survivors without consequence or repercussion. Can somebody please explain to me the legitimacy of that statement given the statutory prohibitions that are built right into the law that governs the Violence Against Women Act. They're talking out of both sides of their mouth. I would say something more profane, but I'm trying to keep this a family-friendly environment. Assistant continues on by saying this is extremely problematic and dangerous as abusers often use the threat of deportation as a tool to maintain power and control over survivors. So here's my question, and we're going to segue into something in a moment. But those people who have been falsely accused, American citizens who rely on their government to serve and protect them and to ensure that their constitutional rights are honored and enforced, who do they go to? What about them? And in a little bit, we are going to go online with a call to one of those U.S. citizens who has been falsely accused and is going through the system right now and is madder than hell. So stand by as we come back after this break. And we're back on the line is a guy by the name of Jimmy who has gone through this process 
And Jimmy, what I'd like for you to do is to walk us through when you first met your foreign-born spouse, how long you were dating her before you got married. Uh, if you now know of some of the signs that you didn't notice when you were dating her that would have alerted you that this was possibly a few feet short of heaven marriage, as I like to call it. So with that in mind, uh, Jimmy, the floor is yours. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so I guess the best way to start off is in the beginning, things are always uh, great and dandy, and you think everything's meant to be. And when things start to take a step forward, you start to unfold and see things of what they are. Um, from what I've gone through and what I've read is, it's basically you should never run into these things head first, and if any pressure is put on, it's kind of a red flag that you should never ignore. Um, it uh, started out great, and then the minute that there was legal paperwork signed, that's when things started to go down hell's hole. And uh, then once the immigration paperwork was done for the interview, that's when you started to realize that what's going on is uh, it was all a ploy and you start to realize that it was a game to get what they wanted where and then once they realized that uh, you start to catch on that's when they start to do other things such as false domestic violence and things along those lines and then you're fighting for your life on something that you're just doing what you thought was love from the beginning okay well let's let's um, Let's get into a couple of questions. How long was it from the time you mar you met this individual to the time you got married? It was about four months. Okay. And she was already in the United States, was she? Yeah, she was in the United States and overstaying her time was running out of time on the clock. All right. I'm assuming that means she was here on a tourist visa. She was here on a tourist visa, that's correct. And how did the two of you meet? I met online dating website. Okay. And after you met and got to know each other, how soon after that did the subject of marriage come up? Oh, within the first first month. Um, it was quite interesting in the way that it was unfolded to where it started as, oh, yeah, I need to figure out what I'm going to do and this and oh, I have this case that I can go with asylum, and then suddenly that didn't work out, and it was everything from everyone thinks that the marriage is the best way to do it to her family, and then to even the absolute most wild of all, whereas a therapist is the one that's recommending that she should go down a marriage route, which you don't think is a red flag, in the beginning, you think it's that support, but it all starts to add up that none of it was really lined up truthfully from the get-go. Okay. So you get married. You file the paperwork with the USCIS. You go in for your what's called an adjustment of status interview. How long did that interview last before an immigration service officer of USCIS? 15 minutes and... Once I was done with it, I couldn't believe that that's how easy it was uh, to become a citizen. 
um, through marriage and the loopholes that are there for just, I could understand why people pay people for that and why that they can get away with it. There's, there's no credibility in the system. The questions that were asked, the, the, the necessary information that needed to be provided, I, it, it's the bare minimum and it's, it's quite sad for the United States to just show that anyone can get it, even if it's truth or fraud. Okay, so let, let me ask it this way. What questions were asked? Give me a couple of examples. Uh, where did you meet? How long did you meet? Did you Have you met each other's family? And then the only thing that they spent the most time on was going through the application that the adjustee needs to make sure that everything that they put in there was still correct to what they stated. So in other words, they were pushing paper. Yeah, they're just pushing paper, signing questions, and all they need to make sure is that you uh, answered the same questions properly and that that you have pictures. And that was it. That was pretty much the deal. Okay, so now let's move forward. She gets her green card. What happens after that? Um, because after the first couple months after marriage was indoctrinated into that between um, and things weren't going right, the minute the green card was given there, um, it was I was trying to get things separated between us, and the minute she got the green card, she got what she wanted, and knew that she could lose it due to the fact of what she was caught was doing was untruthful with me once uh, I found that out. And what was that that you found out without going into specific details? Because I have to mention it to the listening audience that you're still going through litigation with her. And I don't want anybody to get the fine details of this or to know who you truly are, because we, we don't want you to have an issue. So, Without going into a whole lot of detail, what happened as far as, did she accuse you of domestic violence? Did she call the police? Did she get a restraining order? What? Uh, she, she did a gambit of everything to try and make something that was uh, able to, once I did the research and realized everything, it's all the Vaza Act. It's all... Everything that's the fraud, that's the, the silver lining that allows for these immigrants that know the system, that know what they're doing is fraudulent, that have a backup plan that they can use once they found out if they get caught trying to do their original plan. Okay. And, and it, you had alluded to that. You had said you had caught her at something. What was it that you caught her doing? Uh, figuring out that... Uh, there was no intention to stay with me whatsoever from the get-go. What made and you think it was that? All, uh, well, when the person says it to you inadvertently and says it's a joke, uh, it doesn't seem so funny anymore when you're with someone that you think that you're supposed to spend time with in other ways. Okay. Uh, that's the first way to put it as a red flag, and the other way is, is that uh, when the person is abusive, manipulative, and consistently trying to isolate you and put you in predicaments, demanding money where everything is about 
offer and there's nothing that's put towards with a relationship, it starts to add up real quick that it's how much can she get out of you to get her footsteps in the right direction. And then once she gets that, that you can use the system against the American citizen and have absolutely no uh, reprimands for any of it. Okay. Were you, uh, were you ever, did the police ever get involved? Yes. Police got involved. And, uh, once gone to court for all of that, everything got completely taken off and, Luckily, in my case, unlike some other people, it it goes south. Mine hasn't turned for the better because it was quite obvious that what she was doing was lying and fraud in that manner. Okay. Were you ever arrested? I was detained. Okay. I was never arrested due to the fact of what happened. All right. So we're talking about a legal distinction, and I'm not going to disclose the state, but there's a legal distinction in that particular state between a detention and an arrest. And what you're saying is that if I, if I remember correctly, the district attorney issued a letter to you saying that you had been detained and had not been arrested. Is that correct? Correct. Because the case has been rejected and the claims and the basis and the situation of what was being put against me were shown to be otherwise untruthful. And, uh, then, quite blatantly, quite obvious to see it was not true or factual of what happened from the basis of her side of the story. Okay. So this case is still, I mean, you're still married to her, and this is still wending its way through the civil courts dealing with the marriage. And I'm not going to go down that road because, again, I don't, want anything said on this show to come back and bite anybody later on. Uh, is there an, ex- an existing restraining order or was there a restraining order issued? Yes, there was one. And then it was uh, dismissed in court. Okay. But with with that being said, uh, it's disturbing to see what, what's happening in the system to the American citizen just by having something that even gets dismissed. It doesn't hold a uh, any credibility for the citizen of the United States. All right. So now we're going down this road, so now let's go all the way down a rabbit hole. Would it be fair to say that the government of the United States, the government that you, as an American citizen, rely on to protect and to serve you, has done neither? Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. It's it's quite depressing and... Um, sad to see that you can have all these people that think they're falling in love with someone and doing something that they think is what their dreams are and what's putting them on a white horse and walk through the door and it's quite the opposite that uh, the United States is quite blatantly blocking anything to show proof or for an American citizen to even stand up and represent themselves. They're completely thrown underneath the carpet and told it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter where the truth is. You don't even get to defend yourself if there was something that was wrong. Okay. So to do that to a citizen is stripping their rights away. And I would, and I would imagine it, there are thousands of other Americans, both men and women alike, who would echo your sentiment if given a chance. So here we are. 
2019, the Government Accountability Office conducted an investigation uh, that was requested by a member of Congress, and I forget who it was. I believe it was Senator Grassley. And they conducted an investigation, and they determined, yes, there is fraud in the Violence Against Women Act provisions of the immigration law. And even USCIS admitted to it. But USCIS, after the report was published, resists the recommendations that the GAO made on how to deal with this. So my question to you is, it's going to be a twofold question. Number one, when you went through all this, I'm assuming you reported this to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services that you thought that this individual has fraudulently induced you into marrying her so she can get a green card, correct? Correct. Okay. There's no need to belabor that point. So the second part of the question is, does it surprise you to learn that USCIS is saying, in, in effect, fraud? What fraud? We don't see any fraud. Well, it's not even that they don't say there's fraud. They don't even acknowledge um, your report. Uh, no matter what you put in, once you read the fine print but published on uh, USCIS and the way it's reviewed, is your report doesn't exist. Um, they may sit there and say, submit something on paper. You won't. Mm, I never got anything that says you submitted anything. Okay. Lots of people don't. And uh, there's no, there's no uh, accounting for anything that's done. They don't even give you a response saying thank you or we'll look into this or anything. It's just... It goes, in the it goes Ever. into the black hole. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so now, when did you submit the report or reported this to USCIS? There's a reason why I'm asking, because there may have been a change in the reporting procedure. Immediately once uh, the situation came to full gleam to me, um, after police were called on something that was fraudulent. All right, what year was that, do you recall? 2020. Okay. So when you reported it, did you report it on the online tip form that they had established or did you write a letter and mailed it snail mail to USCIS? Both. Both. Okay. So if you were king for the day, Jimmy, what would you do? If you could change anything in the law, now is your chance. Have at it. I, I just think that it needs to be fair for the citizen and the immigrant that's coming to be able to testify for themselves and to be able to help be held accountable and be able to present a case that's fair. Just like law has been in the United States for everyone, except for this seems to be situation, uh, which doesn't make any sense. Why is this the only place that I know of where... A citizen is not able to defend themselves or any person on the other end is not able to defend themselves in a courtroom. And uh, I think it just needs to be fair and right, and it's not uh, completely corrupt and fraudulent. And it hides from the fact that you're allowing for manipulation of a system. 
if I were to tell you that immigrant rights organizations, uh, battered women shelters, domestic violence advocacy groups, and nonprofit immigration law firms are receiving money from the Department of Justice Office on Violence Against Women in the way of grant money in millions and millions of dollars. Would that come as a surprise to you that the government of the United States is funding organizations that promote what many think to be potentially fraudulent claims against American citizens on behalf of non-U.S. citizen immigrants and that the taxpayer, including yourself, by the way, who I would classify as a victim of this fraud, uh, gets the, the pleasure, if you will, and I'm, I'm being highly sarcastic when I say that, um, for paying for it through your tax dollars. Your tax dollars hard at work. No, it does not surprise me one bit. It's, uh, after reading and doing my research on this subject and realizing what's happening, uh, nothing surprised me down this rabbit hole that's there because, quite frankly, what's going on is it's, it's all a ploy and a situation that we can go on for hours about, and there's lots of different views and subject on it, but information's there, and it's being manipulated for situations to where, quite frankly, it puts a political party at a, at a better position. And I think that's the, the most correct way to put it at this point in time. Well, I, I will, you, are, you are not going to get an argument from me vis-a-vis the politics of this. It's always been a political football. Um, one last item just so that the listeners and the audience can really wrap their head around this. In the process that you went through to get this woman a green card, thinking that she loved you and wanted to establish a life with you, only to learn that, no, she used you as a means by which to get into the country and then threw you under the bus by alleging that you had committed some form of domestic violence against her, which resulted in the police being called, you having to go to court, having restraining orders against you, needing to pay money out to attorneys to represent you, not to mention my fee, but you also filed an affidavit of support for her. And if that affidavit of support remains in effect because a divorce does not terminate that affidavit of support. I would imagine you would be outraged that not only were you falsely accused, not only were you fraudulently induced, not only were you emotionally, financially, and potentially physically abused, you now get the privilege of paying for all that through the affidavit of support if she so chose to sue you. Is that a pretty accurate representation of it? Well, it's pretty eye-opening, and uh, yeah, I would agree with it. Okay. Well, Jimmy, listen, I really appreciate you calling in, and um, I will talk to you shortly after we get off the air. But let me wrap up the end of this program. 
So stand by and let me do my close. Next week, we'll continue discussing the Violence Against Women Act and how it impacts immigration-based marriages. And we'll be looking at the I-751 joint petition to remove conditions of residence. If you believe you are the victim of immigration marriage fraud or are facing fabricated allegations of domestic violence or worse, made by a foreign-born spouse or intimate partner, contact CSI Consulting at 719 719- 368-2626. That's 719-368-2626. Or you can email CSI Consulting at CSI Investigations with an S at the end at NetEason, that's N-E-T-E-C-I-N dot net. We can help you and your attorney defend against all of this. So until next week, I'm your host, John Sampson, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.